Well, good morning. Thankful, <clears throat> thankful this morning for a breeze on this sunny Sunday. <clears throat> well, since Easter, we have been studying the letter to the Hebrews. And the author of the letter was writing to a Jewish Christian audience who had been following Christ for some time and whose faith in him had begun to wane as their Jewish friends were encouraging them to turn back to Judaism. Throughout the letter, the author keeps reminding them that Jesus is better than anything that Judaism has to offer. Jesus is better than the angels who the Jews believed brought the law. The author reminds them that Jesus is better than Moses, and he is better than any earthly high priest. And as we look at Hebrews 8, verses 6 through 13 this morning, the author teaches us, since Christ is better in all these ways, the new covenant which he instituted is also better. Sorry, I have allergies. Excuse me. Then the old covenant, which was given to our forefathers. He writes in verses 6 and 7. Let me get some water. I even took my allergy medicine this morning. He writes in verses 6 and 7, But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates. It's better because it's exacted the better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. So, this morning, I want us to do two things, if I can speak. First is give an overview of covenants, and then secondly, look at the new covenant. Let me pray for us and pray for my voice. Lord, we're grateful this morning. We're grateful for your goodness. We're grateful for the sunshine. We're grateful for the breeze. And Lord, I pray even for my voice this morning that you would hold back and heal my allergies to whatever is in the air right now. And that you would give me the ability to speak this morning. And Holy Spirit, I pray that in the midst of the distractions, Lord, that you give us ears to hear this incredible passage. And I pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Well, the first thing that we're going to consider this morning is an overview of covenants. Because in order to help us better understand the new covenant, it's helpful to look at a brief brief overview of covenants in general. Now, in the ancient Near East, When a nation conquered another nation, the two nations would enter into a Caesarean vassal treaty. In the Caesarean vassal treaties, the Caesarean, which represented the more dominant of the two nations, provided benefits such as military protection and land grants to the lesser nation, the vassal nation. In response, the vassal nation owed the Caesarean financial tribute and consummate loyalty. And if either party did not fulfill its promise and or the stipulations, 
there were harsh consequences. Now, these treaties were known as covenants, and they created a familial relationship between the two nations. And there were certain signs that which, which signified that you were establishing this contractual agreement together. Now, in modern society, that this idea is communicated most clearly in adoption and in marriage. When two people become married, they create a family relationship with all the attendant responsibilities and privileges that did not previously exist. Likewise, when a family adopts a child, <clears throat> that child becomes as if she were physically born to the parents. Marriage and adoption join people as family members who were once not family members. Similarly, covenants in the ancient Near East made families out of those who were not family. Now, as we look at the Bible, we see that it's a history of covenants that has been established between God, the Caesarean king, and his vassal people. <clears throat> we see in Scripture how God's covenant of grace comes in stages. The Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, which is referred to as the Old Covenant, and then the New Covenant instituted by Jesus. In Genesis 15, God establishes his covenant with Abraham, telling him that from him he will make a great nation, Israel. And Israel <coughs> will not only be blessed if it keeps the covenant obligations, it will also be a blessing to other nations. Then in Exodus, after God delivers Moses and the Israelites out of bondage in Egypt, he establishes the Mosaic Covenant with his people. God gives Moses the Ten Commandments, which contain stipulations that people must keep, along with promises that God will provide and protect for his people. If the Israelites failed to follow the stipulations, then judgment would follow. And the sign of the Mosaic Covenant was circumcision and the Passover meal. And today, all who profess faith in Christ, we are under the new covenant. A covenant in which our author is reminding us it's a better covenant. So with that background in mind about covenants, I want us to look at our passage this morning and kind of walk through each verse and look at the new covenant. Because in order to contrast the old and the new covenant, the author cites, and, and from, in chapter 8, he cites from Jeremiah 31. And in verses 8 through 9, the author uses Jeremiah's words to remind his audience why the old covenant is faulty. He writes, the old covenant was faulty not in and of itself, it was faulty because the Israelites did not continue in God's covenant. While in the desert, the Israelites, they failed to keep the covenant stipulations. We see an example of this when Moses was up on Mount Sinai. What did the people do? Aaron and the others, they wanted to worship gods, and so they melted gold and they created a golden calf that the people could worship. In Exodus, we read Moses wasn't happy, and neither was God. 
And while a whole generation was not allowed in the promised land, because of this disobedience, God did not forsake his people. He persevered with them through their obedience and their disobedience. And realizing that the people in and of themselves couldn't keep the covenant stipulations, he sent someone who could. He sent his son, Jesus Christ. And through Jesus' perfect obedience, through his death on the cross, and through his resurrection, he instituted a new and better covenant. The new covenant. Now, what makes the new covenant better than the old covenant? And there's three things that the author identifies in verses 10 through 12. And the first is, we have a new priest. Jim did a great job talking about this last week. Jesus is the one true priest whose sacrifice has once and for all paid for all of our sins. Look at verse 12. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember sins no more. Jesus fulfilled the stipulations of the new covenant. He fulfilled the law. And because of that, we don't have to fear when we mess up, when we do not keep the law. Because we have a God who forgives us. We have a sacrificial lamb whose righteousness has been imputed on us. And we can walk in forgiveness. And so the first difference between the old covenant and the new covenant is that we have a new priest. And that new priest is Jesus Christ. And he has paid for all of our sins. Secondly, we have a new identity and power. Look with me in verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. Put my law into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Now before the fall, Adam and Eve's hearts were pure, and it was possible for them to not sin. But when they disobeyed God, sin entered our world and into our hearts. And as Augustine later wrote in the Doctrine of the Bondage of the Will, mankind was not able not to sin. After the fall, every human being was born with an identity marred by sin. And when a person chose to do what is good and right, they did so not because they were good, but because of God's common grace. <clears throat> but what happened, what has changed in the new covenant, is that through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, those who profess faith in him have been given a new heart, a new identity. And the law that once was external is now internal. It's written on our hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen to Ezekiel in chapter 36, verse 26 through 28. God will give you a new heart 
and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people. I will be your God. Unlike in the old covenant, where we obeyed God's law from external obligations, in the new covenant, we obey from internal motivations, overflowing from a new heart, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, as Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. We have a new identity that is bent towards God. We have the presence of the Holy Spirit living in us. And because of the new heart and the new power, we are intrinsically motivated and empowered to say no to the old instincts. To say no to sin that still exists inside of us, this side of heaven. And we can say no to Satan in the world that want to turn us away from light and truth. And the beautiful thing about the new covenant, it is no longer that we have to do the right things. It is that we want to do the right things. We want to follow God because we have a heart and we have the Holy Spirit living in us and dwelling in us that wants good and wants truth and wants light. And so you might be wondering, what are the implications of this new heart, this new identity, and this new power? And I want to share two. First, I believe it provides us with a new perspective on how we see ourselves in relation to sin. Now, you've probably heard the expression, love the sinner, but hate the sin. And while we are to hate sin... The problem is that it's very difficult for us to not hate ourselves since we often think that sin is actually our identity. It's who we are. For example, I was talking with a client several years ago, and he was sharing about his struggle with addiction. And he shared that he felt like there were two parts of him that existed inside of him. One part that wanted to do good, and then another part that wanted to act out. I asked him how he felt about each part. And without hesitating, he said he loved the good part of himself. And he hated the bad part. And then I looked at him and I said, you know, you have a real problem. Because you're saying that sin is a part of your identity. And if you hate any part of your identity, that will lead to shame. And shame is the fuel for addiction and for us to move toward sin. The problem with my client is that he didn't understand the truth of verse 10. And the truth that his new heart and his new relationship created a new relationship with sin. Christ has given us a new heart, a new identity that's bent toward his heart. 
Yes, sin still exists in us, but it isn't who we are in Christ. Our sin is is our remnants. They're old instincts that still exist in us. And they've created kind of like a muscle memory in us. And so when we're tempted, that muscle memory is tempted to act out and to sin. Paul says it this way in Romans 7, 15 through 17. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Paul understood that his true identity, his full identity, is as a beloved son of God. He understood that on the road to Damascus, God had rescued him. God took away his heart of stone and replaced it with a heart of flesh. He believed that the Holy Spirit dwelt inside of him. And he understood that this side of heaven, the instinct to sin, his flesh, as he often referred to it, it still existed in him. And this battle was against flesh, those old instincts. The muscle memory that still existed from his old heart of stone. Now he can hate those instincts. But I don't believe he ever hated himself. For he understood that he had a new heart. And he had the Holy Spirit dwelling in him. He understood that he was a new creation. So it's important for us. When we struggle with sin, to understand that our struggle does not define who we are. Our struggle is not our identity. You're not a sex addict. You're not an alcoholic. You're not a prideful person. You're a person who struggles with sex. You're a person who struggles with alcohol. You're a person who struggles with pride. That's very different than saying that that is your identity. And the beautiful thing about our text this morning is that in the new covenant, Jesus is saying, you're a new creation, you have a new heart, and you have a new spirit living in you. Don't hate yourself when you sin, but instead confess your sins, repent, and let God love you. And know that he never stopped loving you. Because you have an identity that's rooted in Jesus Christ. So first, I believe the new heart and the new power found in the new covenant provides us with a new perspective on how we see ourselves in relation to sin. And that new perspective, I hope, will lead us not to hate ourselves and to shame and acting out more, but instead will lead us toward obedience and toward aligning our lives with the truth of the gospel. And the second thing I believe that this new identity and this new power does for us, it shows us that we can have victory over sin. While it's very helpful for my client to gain this new perspective on who he is in Christ and his new relationship to sin, he still had the old instincts 
that existed inside of him. The muscle memory was so strong that from time to time he would continue to act out. But as we look at verse 10, we are reminded that not only has God given us a new heart that is intrinsically motivated to say no to sin, God has given us the Holy Spirit with the power to defeat sin. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, the one that we're celebrating today, dwells inside of us. And that Spirit, the Spirit, will empower us to say no to our flesh, to say no to what feels like muscle memory and comes so easily for us. For many of us, we, we have besetting sins that have haunted us for years. And it's easy to think that they're always going to dog us until Christ comes again. But verse 10 reminds us that the Holy Spirit lives in us. He fights for us, and he can and he will defeat sin. We can have victory. We can become more like Christ. Christ says, be holy as he is holy. He didn't give us that command knowing that we couldn't accomplish it. He gave it to us because he knew that he had given us a new heart. And that we possess the Holy Spirit and the power to overcome sin. So what makes the new covenant better than the old? The first is we have a new priest. And that new priest then covers all of our sin. There's no more need for sacrifices every day. Because Christ's sacrifice was enough. Secondly, we see that we have a new heart and a new power that dwells in us so that we can become more like Christ. And then thirdly, we see that we have a new community. Look at verses 11 and 12. The author quoting from Jeremiah 31 writes this, And they shall not teach one his neighbor, And each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the last of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Now, it's easy as you read those two verses to think that the author is saying, Stop preaching the gospel to your neighbors, for everyone is going to profess faith in Christ and be restored in relationship to God. But we know that that's not a legitimate interpretation because it would directly contradict the Great Commission to go and preach the gospel to every nation, tribe, and tongue. Jeremiah then, and the author to the Hebrews now, is saying that God established a covenant with Abraham to establish Israel so that it might be blessed and so that it might be a blessing to other nations. And then earlier in Hebrews, we read that while our forefathers got a glimpse that God wasn't just going to redeem the Jews, but he also was going to redeem the Gentiles, we know now that Jesus Christ has come, that he has come to save both Jew and Gentile, slave and free, young and old, rich and poor, And what was dimly understood by Jeremiah is now being fully realized in Jesus through the new covenant. Because Jesus is the great high priest, his sacrifice once and for all 
paid for the iniquities of all mankind and will be applied to all who profess faith in him. In Acts 2, we see this new community being established as people from every tribe and every tongue as they confess faith in Christ. They join together, devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, to breaking the bread and to praying. They sold their possessions and belongings and distributed the proceeds to all as any who had need. And the Lord added to their number every day. You see, what's different from the old covenant to the new covenant is in the new covenant, God is establishing a new people made up of Jews and Gentiles. Now, what are the implications for us this morning? And there's two that I want to briefly mention. First is we need to celebrate the diversity that exists even in our midst here at Hope Chapel. We come from many different faith traditions. We come from many different nationalities, ethnicities, and races. We come from different socioeconomic backgrounds. We come from different political leanings and values. We consist of males and females, young and old. And together, we make up the new community of God in all its diversity and in all its beauty. It's so easy in our day and age to live divided, segregated in our tribes. But Jesus, through instituting the new covenant, says, I have come not only to save the Jews, but the Gentiles. All are welcome in my house. The many are now one, and my hope is, here at Hope Chapel, that we will continue to grow in learning how to celebrate our diversity while living as one. And so the first implication is, with this new community, this new people, is that we can celebrate our differences. We don't have to hide. We can talk about our differences with love and respect. Secondly, we are still called to reach out to our neighbors. God is a merciful God, and Christ paid for all of our iniquities. And their friends and neighbors and family members are still trying to find meaning for their lives apart from Christ. And though it's hard for us to say they are still enslaved to sin because they do not have that new heart, they are not empowered by the Holy Spirit, they still have to sin. The only thing that's holding them back is God's common grace. And we have that secret. We know the truth of the gospel. We know that God is creating a new community and he is calling us to go out and preach the good news to our neighbors. And so my hope is this summer, as things begin to open up and you can interact with your neighbors and go to the pool and go to the parks, that you'll ask the Holy Spirit who dwells within you the new identity that you have in Christ, and that you will ask him to empower you to go and have gospel-centered conversations with your neighbors, with your family members who do not know Jesus. Let's boldly preach the good news of the gospel, and let's pray that God deepens and he expands our local community here at Hope Chapel. I would love nothing more when I come back September 1st and, and we worship together to look out and see so many new faces and to see so much more diversity. What an incredible thing that can be 
And I know you're sitting there thinking that's not going to happen, but it can happen because the Holy Spirit lives in you. And you have a new heart. The only thing that's holding us back is our sin, those instincts, those old muscle memories in us that Satan wants to use and the world wants to draw on. But we have a Savior. We have the Spirit that lives in us. And that Spirit wants us to move out. He wants to go out and bring in more family members. He left the 99 and he went after the one. And I hope this summer you don't leave Hope Chapel completely, but that you'll go out and you'll seek after the one. So this morning, the author reminds us, using Jeremiah's words, that Jesus has come to institute a new covenant And that covenant is better than the old. The Jews were trying to get them to go back to the old covenant. And they were waning. They were struggling. They were thinking, maybe it's better to go back to the old. And through using Jeremiah's words, he's saying, no, the new covenant is so much better. We have a new priest. We don't have to continue the sacrificial system. We're forgiven for all of our sins, present, past, and future. And we have that freedom to walk with him. We have a new heart. And we have the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. You are a new creation. No matter what you think of yourself at night, you don't have to hate parts of yourself. Your identity is in Christ. And the Holy Spirit dwells in you. And because of that, we can have victory over sin. We can say no to sin and yes to God. And the new covenant, it makes way for a new community. A community that's diverse. Races, ethnicities, values. And again, you you look around and you think, well, we're predominantly a white community. But we, this year, found out that we are very diverse in values. And in that diversity, instead of letting those values divide us, let's celebrate those those values. Let's be curious about one another. Let's love one another. And then let's demonstrate to a world that is so tribal that God is establishing a new community that's diverse and completely beautiful. Not where one group dominates another, or one group's trying to steal power from another. That is not scriptural, and that is not biblical. This is one in which everyone is empowered by the Spirit. Everyone walks in humility. Everyone walks in love. Everyone offers grace and forgiveness when we sin against one another. That is the new community. The new covenant is far better than the old. And so, I hope this summer that you continue to come back to this this beautiful book that we've been studying and remember these truths. You have a new priest, a new heart, new power, and a new community in which God is calling us to live. Hallelujah. What a Savior we have in Jesus Christ. Amen.